Hello and welcome to an episode of Automation and Authorship, where we discuss all things automation, robotics, engineering, and especially today, all things writing and authorship, storytelling, all things like that. I'm your host, Taylor Bailey, and here with me we've got Kimball Earl and Kayla McNeil. This is my uncle and sister, respectively, but more importantly, excellent writers. Kimball, okay. Kayla, how are you doing? Oh, I'm doing great. Yeah, doing good. Excited to be here. So we are talking right at, I mean, this is hours after the completion of your ANWA conference. Can you tell us a little bit about what that is, what ANWA is? Yeah, so ANWA is, it stands for American Night Writers Association. And it was a, a group of writers that originally started, I think, with six people, that six women who were writers and they wanted to come up with a community where they could get together and feel supported and so the night writers part comes from they would put their kids to bed and the only time they could find to write and to get together was after that so it's the american night writers association i like it so it's night writer with a w yeah mm -hmm. very nice <laughs> so how did you guys find this conference so this is kind of funny, actually, because I live in California right now and I was looking for a conference, but I was also, I have three kids and I was trying to figure out how can I go to a conference that's multiple days and still have babysitters who are willing to help with that. And pretty much that left me with my family <laughs> as an option. And so I said, okay, maybe I can't do a conference in California. I'll look up on Google where what a good writer's conference is in Arizona. And this was the first one that popped up. So I was pretty feeling pretty good about it and it turned out to be a really great option and then she recommended that uh this conference to my wife to give to me for a father's day slash birthday gift and i'd never heard of anwa before and so when i opened up uh this this gift i'm like oh i don't even know what this is and she says oh kayla recommended this this is a a writer's conference uh and i think you'll have a great time at it and so i've been pretty stoked to go uh, and uh, I'll tell you, it did not disappoint. This conference has been two days and it's been a lot of great information. So writers out there, if you guys live in an area that has uh, NWA chapters and or conferences, um, definitely recommend you, you check them out and come out because you'll be, for me, it's, it was an inspiring conference just because it gave you tools um, uh, and things to think about to take your manuscripts and your ideas to the next level and even through that providing you with those tools um, it in a way provides you the motivation that some of us need who live busy lives and have full-time jobs have families and sometimes it's difficult for us to want or to be able to to make the time to go out and to to work on our our writing and conferences like this get you inspired when you see so many other people who are in the same situation that you are you're all just a lot of us just amateurs and when you see their excitement and you see what they're doing, it inspires you to also you know, work on your craft. And I will say too, I know that they have online chapters too. So even if you live in an area that they haven't quite outreached to, you can find something online. Very nice. So what's the structure of the conference itself? Is it an all day type of thing? Yeah. So it starts in the morning, goes all the way till dinner and they feed you lunch. It's great and snacks and snacks too in fact they were always feeling like they were like throwing food at us you know it's like oh we're gonna break for this and break for this uh-huh they uh, even came out too early one time with snacks and they were like pause all the conference yeah. workshops don't start, get don't out start. there and get your cookies <laughs> <laughs> um but yeah they 
each breakout session would be about an hour and they would start uh, in the morning with uh, kind of a, a group um, meeting and they kind of go over some bullet points for the day. And here's the thing that I appreciate it again, not knowing much about ANWA, I didn't realize that it was a faith-based organization. So we actually started each day and ended each day with prayer. And as, uh, as a religious family, uh, I, I really appreciated the fact that I could go in and, and have this kind of conference with people, not only who, uh, I felt like I related to on a, um, like a, a craft level, but also on a, um, like a spiritual religious level. And that we all kind of had felt like we had same standards and things. We could all relate to each other on that way. Uh, that being said, anyone's invited to come to these things. Um, but you, you, there's definitely a different atmosphere when you know, you can, you can come to stuff and have it's almost like a, s a safe place where you're not expected to be thrown things that we would maybe find inappropriate in, in, in more of a secular type of setting uh but anyways so there were yeah you have several sessions in the morning you break for lunch some more sessions in the afternoon uh but they also did some fun things at night as well uh, yeah they had a gala at night that was themed um medieval and like so, fantasy yeah and, fantasy you and it was like a masquerade and costume contest situation too yeah. so it was really fun they had some good activities you could do like um there was like this really cute apothecary that they set up where all the jars were labeled really fun super things, like related to yeah can you think of some Bob? so one of the ones that i love the i think more the most is there's that adage when we talk about um characters uh is that you always want to run your character chase your character up a tree and then throw rocks at them. Uh, and so one of those little vials was a vial that was labeled, you know, it was filled with rocks and it's the rocks that authors throw at their characters when they're up in a tree. <laughs> I love it's, that. It's, it's things like that. Just really clever things that authors would uh, would relate to. Um, and it was fun to like, and some people, you didn't have to dress up. You didn't have to be in costume or have a masquerade mask on. So you have people who just showed up in just their regular clothes. And then there's people like us who, like, like I, I didn't really even see the email that was going to be a, a gala. So I kind of literally threw things together like the day before. I'm like, well, I could put this vest on with like these runners that I'll hike up and they look like hobbit pants. And I, you know, I'll put this kind of the scarf thing that looks like maybe I'm like an elf or like, like a hobbit. Uh, I'm 6'2", so I'm like, I'm just a tall, <laughs> tall hobbit. Um, but I do have fur on my feet. So that works. Uh, and I did have a, a ring from a, we have a Monopoly version of, of uh, Lord of the Rings uh, and it had the one ring in there. So I just took that, took my wife's, one of her necklaces and, you know, laced it through that and wore that. And it, it worked really good. I think uh, for yeah, something I just threw together with my own stuff, in my own house. But then there were people that legit like bought these beautiful like elvish gowns and had ears and everything some people like they look forward to this moment this is like cosplay for writers um because they're like looking at what characters they like and and uh and they just work on these costumes probably for weeks uh and then like this is their night to showcase their cosplay so that was really fun and i guess there was a karaoke thing the first night which we didn't uh make it out to that but it's just little fun things they do to make the whole experience beyond just sitting in the classroom they kind of make it a a community that people really want to come out to. Yeah, there's definitely an emphasis on networking and helping each other and sharing the resources and the knowledge and the care, I guess, that we mm -hmm. have for each other as a community. Because it can be, writing can be a really lonely thing. And I think that's the focus of this is it doesn't mm -hmm. have to be lonely. And there are a lot of us out there who want 
the companionship and to share the experience. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And one thing I felt like they kept on emphasizing or, or mentioning is they would get up and they would say, um, some of my, my closest, dearest friends are the people that I've met here at Anwal. And as first time goers, we're like, that's kind of exciting that like there's so many people that find these deep connections, you know, going to chapter meetings or just going to the conferences every year that uh, make these connections that uh, hopefully uh, can turn into really deep, not only like uh, just, um, you know, uh, social kind of interactions, but also on a, on a professional level as you're working with each other and giving each other like that feedback and critique uh, that you need, because you can just be a writer writing your own stuff uh, and, in, in kind of like a, a closet, but unless you're getting feedback from from people in some kind of a writing group, I don't think you'll even find your your greatest potential. Because you know, and, and and I will say that Taylor and Kayla, the three of us, or with some other people, are in a kind of a, a writing group, and I I've always appreciated hearing from them and getting their feedback on the things that I've written, and I've enjoyed reading their things. And I think that's a huge part of your writing is that people can bring out the best in you as you're now being held accountable to things that you write. It's like, all right, here's what I've got, guys. And you, you want to bring your best so that when they read it, that they, you know, they like it. And then they'll say, hey, try this and try this. And then I found that I'm even writing better because of suggestions I give. Mm -hmm. and, well, an interesting thing about uh, alpha reading and beta reading is that you want to get your normal readers who are just, you know, people who like to read, right? But it's also really important to get feedback from people who are also writers because they're going to have a lot more specific feedback and they're going to be able to tell you uh, maybe not necessarily like here's exactly what you should fix because that's not the kind of feedback that generally you want but they might be able to tell you why something's not working or uh, what kind of like craft elements you may need to work on whereas Readers may just be able to say, yeah, I don't really like this character, but they might not be able to explain why. Mm -hmm. So that's, that is nice to be able to get together and have that community. Did you guys make any friends while you were there? Any contacts? That... Yeah, there's there was actually a girl. I thought this was the best idea ever. I sat down at my first workshop. We split up Uncle Kimball and I, and we were like, I was like, okay, I got to meet someone new. So I sat at a table and this girl set a gigantic bag of... Um, like pins that you put on lanyards, just set it in between us and said, let's be friends. I brought all these pins so that I could make friends. And she just said, pick one out of the bag. Do you want a pin? She pulled out a bunch of stickers she bought too. And I thought, this is so fun. Everyone's just here to make connections and friends. And I followed several people on Instagram pretty quickly after, you know, okay, I got to follow these people, find what they're doing and follow their journeys. And I think that like we were talking about, you're saying it's good to have writers in your critique groups. Even more specifically though, it's important to have writers within your genre. Like I know, mm -hmm. Taylor, you write fantasy, and Kimball, you write um, sci-fi right now, at least, and I'm writing suspense. And so that's all really great, but it's also good for us to reach out and find other people who are writing in our specific genres. And so that was kind of something I was, like as I'm creepy eavesdropping on people in the conference and just sitting around just, you know, oh, you write, you write suspense too, let's be friends and connect. Mm -hmm. Uh, and at, at Anwal, you can see that they have people from all types of genres. Mm -hmm. A lot of times before class would start, if they had a little time before uh, it was class time, they would ask like, all right, who in this room is writing, you know, uh, historical fiction? And hands would go up. And who here is 
um, writing fantasy. Lots of hands went up for fantasy. Who here is writing um, science fi? And they go kind of go through all these different genres. And each genre, you'd have several people raise their hands. So it's not just that it's one genre coming out to this. There are people from all kinds of genres. So uh, you can definitely find people that are in, you know, doing your type that you're interested in. Or if you want to try a different genre, like, well, I'm usually doing sci-fi, but maybe I should kind of dip into mystery or you know, suspense or something. Uh, there's people who are doing that ones and they can give you tips on, you know, breaking into that genre. Mm -hmm. I want to jump into, you know, some of the classes or I don't know, what what, what would you call them? Workshops or breakaways? They, they call them, they call them uh, breakout uh, workshop. I think it's what they call them workshops. So, uh, but, and then in class, they would call them classes. So they, they use all kinds of different terms for them. So I just kind of want to touch on maybe three or four of the classes mm -hmm. that you thought were most impactful and obviously don't want to get into all of the maybe proprietary stuff that they share, because I would like to encourage people to go to this conference. Mm -hmm. um, you know, quick side note, I would have loved to go to this concert or a concert, <laughs> this uh, conference, but I was uh, just returned from a trip out of the country and couldn't make it happen. But um, the next year, <laughs> next year, I'm all in and I want to know what I can expect. Absolutely. So I think one of the ones that I kind of connect with me, um, I'm, I'm finding that I am trying to make my characters more well-rounded uh, and to give them some opportunities to grow. And so some of these, because uh, there were different classes from things like how to edit to how to do publishing and, and then also how to structure and both your story and with characters. And one of the ones that I, I really connected with one was they titled it uh, the deep dark, um, deep dark soul, like our- uh, The dark night of the soul. Dark night of the soul, thank you. Uh, and what that one was all about was trying to get your characters, put them in that place that in the story arc is that area right after, um, you know, when, you, when you've got um, like the enemies are converging, you know, and of course these terms are sometimes sound like it's just only an action setting, but we can use these same types of things in romance. The concepts are still the same. But when you get to like the enemies are closing in and you get to that all is lost, um, that moment after you hit the all is lost moment when everything has gone down, there's going to be that moment where your characters need to feel like they've lost, like it is it is over and that is really the dark dark night of the soul when they just are reflecting on how bad things are um, the example that they gave was looking at uh, the chronicles of narnia in, in the first one when um, you have you have the brother who who betrays the rest of the family um, and he has to you know he's got to be you know receive the consequence of those actions and we know that aslan Aslan steps in, in his place uh, as a messianic figure and says, let, let the punishment go on me. Uh, and so he's taken, he's executed. And at that moment, the, the two girls uh, see him, he's dead. It's literally at night. So they're in darkness. Um, all the other characters, you know, all the other villains have left and now they're just there, you know, with the corpse of Aslan. And they feel like now their hero is gone. 
there's nothing they can do. They're going to now the evil queen is going to run through and, and, and take over all of Narnia because their hero is gone. And that is the, their, their dark night of the soul. And then once you've given them that place, once you've sunk them down to the lowest level, you have to give them a glimmer of hope. And literally in that story, the sun starts to rise and the first rays of the sun pierce through the darkness and they see that the the table Aslan is on cracks and then the body is gone and then he reappears as a resurrected uh, Aslan and they you have to get to the point where you've, you've taken them down that far but when they have that glimmer of hope that thing it allows the characters to feel like they've learned a lesson they've noticed something something is is at least there where they can build something on and as they do that then it can raise you know raise things up to the climax where they can then now they've learned the lessons they've had to learn um, they've gained the strength they can now overcome the problem and then that it leads to resolution so but you have to you have to be brave enough to get them down to those those lowest levels in order for them to be to, to, to raise them back up um, analogy I was thinking of with Kayla was that when I go to the gym um, uh, you know I, I know I should be doing squats squats are hard and when you when you're lowering yourself down you kind of have this tendency to only want to maybe squat just a little bit so like if I squat a little bit I can get back up easier but you know that if you want to build strength you've got to go deep you've got to really lower yourself down but you have to then also have faith that you can get yourself back up from that position and I feel like that's what you need to do with your characters. You need to lower down in order to build them back up. And if you do that, that's when the strength of your character is going to be built as they're having to build back up, up from that. And they talked a lot about how our audience, our readers, they don't want to see perfect people. You know, mm -hmm. uh, a classic thing is they you know, call them Mary Sue's, right? People that just, everything is always good all the time. And no one likes, everyone feels like, uh, they don't relate to that. It's not enjoyable. It's not engaging. It's you want to introduce characters that have flaws, and then you want to see how they overcome their flaws, uh, because we as humans, we want to see how we can overcome our flaws. When we're faced with difficult times, when we're faced with grief and loss um, and failure, how are we going to rise above that failure and achieve our goals? And when we as, as, as audience members can see that in a fictional character, our brain still operates in um, you know, this mirror synapse where like, all right, I can now, I'll, I'll, I'll imitate what and be inspired by what this fictional character did in order to overcome their trial in my own life, I can now grow above that. And I think that's a huge thing. And I think that's why authors are so important as storytellers. We need to help the the you know society to learn how to overcome their problems and that's one of the roles uh, of authors is to give people tools to overcome things in their own life i really like that comparison between or, or just the example of learning from fiction um that's something i've talked about and i can't remember who with but you can learn a lot from fiction and you can really write anything in fiction and so you have to be careful with uh, you know what you try to learn from fiction but what you can learn about overcoming helplessness and achieving something great is what I think probably is the most valuable thing um, what 
is disappointing is when you see the deus ex machina mm-hmm. type of ending and i think that's part of why it's so disappointing is your characters aren't really learning or overcoming or you know championing anything it's just something it's got out of the machine or god is coming to just save you and that's it mm-hmm. whereas when we have a true character growth and characters overcoming that dark night of the soul that's when you can actually relate to it as a reader and feel like all right i can do that too mm-hmm. even if it's you know slaying a dragon or whatever else it's not really applicable but right. that growth and that overcoming aspect is that transcends genre all right that a classic line from three amigos is we all have our old guapos <laughs> that's right <laughs> maybe your old guapo is illiteracy <laughs> But we all we all have our our, our our dragons to slay. It's just how we how are we gonna you know find the strength in ourselves? And when we see that glimmer of hope, you know, instead of giving up, knowing okay, I can do this. I can overcome my trial. So that's one thing. Even just as you were talking about it, I'm thinking about my own book and how my characters don't have a dark night of the soul. There, I mean, I have some things planned for the subsequent books in my series but in this book one that i've written that i'm now revising i need to put some more dark nights of the soul in there Mm -hmm. and i i I found that coming up in my mind all the time as in these different classes i was in and i think as a tip come into a conference like this not necessarily with a fully completed manuscript although you can have one there's they have opportunities to pitch um, your your uh, your manuscripts and, and your story ideas, um, but if you come with something that you're working on, or at least in some kind of stage of development, when you are listening to these classes, you can directly apply those principles to what you're working on. I found that every class that I took, I'm like, oh, okay, I can take this principle. I know exactly where I need to fit this into my story. Okay, and just as you said, Taylor, like, oh, I don't know, I'm not doing enough of this thing. Let me not put this into the story. And that's just going to make your stuff better. You know, so I'm, I'm now going back and I'm a good chunk into my story, but I want to go back now and maybe even to the beginning and just see, okay, how can I, there was a class on the first chapter. I'm like, all right, I need to take a look at my first chapter. Am I engaging the readers right out of the bat? Am I do, introducing enough mystery? Not even that it's a mystery novel, it's a science fiction novel, but Every, every book can have a little bit of mystery, whether it's a little something about the character that I'm only hinting at right now that I'll introduce later, or something about the setting or uh, the antagonist. Something is just a little bit of a mystery that wants that, that makes the reader want to turn to the next page. Uh, and that goes, one of the principles we heard a lot was you want to end you know each chapter with something that won't, makes the reader want to turn the next page. Like, okay, I. I can't end this chapter and not keep going, you know. Uh, and they said a lot of times when 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 readers will go to a bookstore and grab a book, uh, they'll flip open maybe they'll read maybe read the dust cover and get a synopsis. Sometimes they'll crack open the chapter one and read maybe the first page, uh, or maybe sometimes even the first paragraph or even the first couple of lines. And if you haven't nailed it right in that first few lines or paragraph and really hooked your readers in. You, they may not buy your book. So really work on that first chapter and uh, make it something where there's something about them that that is 
engaging. Like you've introduced a character, like this person's interesting. They've got an interesting setting. They've got an interesting objective. They've got an interesting um, problem. And those kind of things you can introduce and you can, you can still develop things throughout the book, but if you can at least put a lot of those seeds right in the beginning, it's going to make readers want to go, okay, I'm, I'm in for the ride. You've, you've, you've at least enticed me in this first chapter. Let's see what else you got. I love that. You know who I think has a pretty good Dark Knight of the Soul is one of the characters in Kayla's book that she's currently pitching. And I'm not going to go into any details, <laughs> but there's uh, there's some really good character development in there. Not not just trying to pad anyone's ego here, but uh, they're you know towards the end of the book, as is appropriate to put for a <laughs> uh, for a placement of the Dark Knight of the Soul. There's some pretty serious uh, introspection and some obstacles that come up. So I would encourage anyone who's listening to uh make sure to buy a copy once that's published in <laughs> you know like, <laughs> and, down the road. and maybe Kayla, this would be a good time for you to talk about what it was like to do the pitching like i, I mentioned that that the part of the conference is you can do your pitches but how was it like for you to do yours yeah so i did two different ones there was one that was uh, you sent your uh, I sent my query letter and first page ahead of time. And so the, the editor, or actually that one was to an agent. So the agent looked it over and left some um, notes on the pages and sent them to me ahead of time. And I was able to look those over. And then we had just a 10 minute conversation about um, what she saw. And I was able to ask questions about it. And it was interesting because um, just being able to see the feedback ahead of time and compose myself was kind of uni unique in this type of way. And then going in and saying, hey, industry professional, what are your just honest thoughts? And we talked about genre and we talked about, um, you know, wordiness and exactly what really when it when you're boiling, when you're talking about pitches and synopsis and things like that, you really have to boil it down to the very core, the spine of your story, I guess. And so I've learned a lot there. And then the second thing that I did was um, pitching just the pitch, which was like two or three sentences. Um, so there was no ahead of time. It was just like cold pitching someone who was sitting right in front of me. And that was really interesting. The, the thing that I came away from that most surprised by was how little emphasis there was on the actual pitch that I gave. That was like probably 45 seconds out of the 10 minutes. Um, and then he asked a bunch of questions and I was able to answer. And once that initial pitch that I had been rehearsing in my mind over and over, you know, I have to get this exactly right. Mm -hmm. I have to get every word has to be exactly what I want it to say. And But it didn't end up being that way, as you would expect. And then after that, it was the really the questions um, that were able to pull out the story and the most important things rather than just that little thing that I had prepared. And so that is something very unique to pitching at a conference like this is when you're sending in your materials cold querying agents online or through email and stuff you don't get that opportunity and so at a conference it's kind of cool because you're sitting there and they can say oh i don't quite get this and you say oh yeah let me explain it to you and that's acceptable in this setting and that was really cool i liked that yeah that's pretty unique do you have that pitch memorized oh <laughs> uh, i should um I can try. <laughs> Let's give it a shot. Okay. So uh, I so you want to start out by saying something like, you know, hi, how are you? <laughs> but then you go into um, 
My name is Kayla McNeil, and I've written a 98,000-word suspense novel um, called Haunting Coretta Jones. So you've got your title and your word count, and you want to share your genre. Um, in this case, I was able to ask him a little bit more about genre because I, I had initially pegged it as a mystery, but I wasn't quite sure if, like, suspense, if that's an actual genre on its own. We talked about that a little bit, and that was fun. Um, as far as the pitch goes... A younger Coretta might have believed in ghosts. However, 16 years on the run has taught her that a firm grasp on logic is the only means of survival. In a hotel in Boston, where rumors say ghosts are murdering people, Coretta has a logic-shattering realization. Releasing her grasp on reason and admitting that ghosts might exist could help her fight her demons and ultimately allow her the freedom to stop running from them. Awesome. Way to go. <laughs> Something Can like you that. send me your manuscript? Yeah, sure. The full <laughs> right now. <laughs> I'll send it right over. <laughs> and what was what was fun is like um Kayla and I like were going over her, her pitch and, and we were learning things from these classes and we were taking a look at, at that pitch. We're like, oh hey, they talked about this certain thing. Let's work that into to this pitch. And then um she was like, you need to create a pitch for your story. I'm like, well, I'm not pitching anybody. She's like, just do it anyway. And so I wrote one down like in a few minutes and then she took a look at it and we kind of thought about some more things and I kind of, you know, made a little more character centric. Uh, and that was kind of a good exercise for me just to even just to write it out so that I've got, you know, more of a, of a kind of a go on mind about how the whole thing's going to play out. So. I know a lot of people recommend either writing a query letter or a synopsis even before you write your book, after you have your brainstorming and stuff, because it really helps you to go, okay, if I had to boil this whole thing down into two pages or 150 words, what would it, what would be the most important parts? Mm -hmm. Part of what I've been realizing is as I've tried to put together a pitch or a synopsis, it's actually helped me to realize, oh, I'm missing a couple of key things. Like there's not enough of xyz element in my book and so i need to address that mm -hmm. which is just kind of silly almost to think just trying to write a two sentence pitch or synopsis would have that kind of effect yeah but, sometimes getting down to like she as she said the, the spine that you have to kind of cut out all the other stuff and just get down to what is the bare bones of your story and sometimes when you can see that like okay if i need if I, this is what i actually is the story is all about um, then, you know, sometimes you can, you might change other elements of it. And when we took a class on, on the story, uh, story elements that Pixar, uh, does, and that was a fascinating class. Uh, it's like, and I guess this comes from some Twitter thread that, uh, a Pixar employee said, here are the 22, like, you know, rules of storytelling from Pixar. Later, she came out and said that it's actually should have been guidelines and not so much rules is like, these are the 22 guidelines of storytelling. Um, but when you see these these things laid out and you see how pixar that company basically is is the master storytellers i mean they're not only a great animation studio they're a great movie studio because they know how to tell stories mm -hmm. uh, and so when you take a look at how the principles uh of the storytelling elements and they and and, and you see they're not afraid to make mistakes they're not afraid to uh, start with a certain story and then break that down and say, all right, something isn't working. Let's break it down to its bare bones. And then when they do that, they say, all right, really the story is on this one thing. This is this is the actual theme of our story. 
So let's build it back based on that. And you, we, time and time again, you'll, you'll see these examples in Pixar movies that start off as one thing that wasn't working. And when they broke it down and built it back up, it was a completely different thing. And that's what we know now is, is, is the better version they built out after they broke it back down. And another thing, this is a great principle to learn for all of writing. You know, the guy's like, if you go through your stuff and you have something that um, doesn't work right now in this story, don't just delete it. Like take that element and he's like, literally make a file and put that in that folder. And it's like, that's a great element, but I'm not using that right now in this story, but save that for later. It says Pixar would take these elements that didn't work in the story and then they would reappear and become something a whole different a story. Uh, I believe it was it was Monsters Inc. had a certain element where it's like we want to have each of these monsters um, that that uh, and in fact the, the protagonist of Monsters Inc. was not solely uh, and any monster it was a human and the human was like an adult who as like a thirty year old still was dealing with monsters in his closet mm. and each monster had its own personality and its own thing that he had to overcome. So the whole movie was him facing his fear in each of these monsters. Um, and then they said, but this isn't working. So they stripped all that away and rebuilt it at what we know with Soli and all the other monsters. Uh, but they said this element of having these different characters with like each individual like persona then later turned to my favorite Pixar movie, Inside Out which each of the, uh -huh. the elements of, you know, the personality. So it's like, they didn't, they didn't scrap it. They just saved it for later and it turned into something else, which like I said, is I think the most beautiful of all the Pixar movies. Yeah. And Pixar is fantastic at making grown adults cry. Oh, we saw that in that room. Oh my gosh. Yeah. <laughs> I was one of them. I'll admit it. <laughs> they, he, he was throwing pictures up. He's like, cause he knows Pixar is great about, building that emotion in people and and you know eliciting that response and he's he would just show a picture of a certain pixar movie and there was a woman sitting in front of us who just started bawling <laughs> and she's like she's like look i'm pregnant you know and he's like yep and yeah. pixar knows we can do this we can make pregnant women cry and <laughs> she, she was crying right there and i and i said you know uh in my favorite movie i cannot watch that to this day and i've seen that movie yeah times and times again I can't watch Inside Out and not get emotional in two scenes. And it's in uh, Bing Bong Sacrifice and when Riley's reconnected with her parents. And she talks about how she misses home and they miss home, but they're still all together. And I find, I find examples of uh, friendship and family are the things that hit me the most, you know? And here's the one that didn't hit me until I had a life event. I saw, uh, uh, onward that came out you know like right at the beginning of of um of covid and i to this day i feel bad that's when it was released because i don't think it got it's it's fair shift you know um because that's a great movie and i and i watched it as just a you know a middle-aged man with kids and everything uh and seeing these two brothers and their whole adventure and then uh about a year later my dad passed away and then i watched that again um, with these two boys reconnecting with their father and um, that hit me like I just lost my dad and and seeing at the end when one brother's like you knew dad and you need to go and say your last goodbye like I wish I had one more chance to say my last goodbye with my dad 
Um, so, I mean, Pixar, they just reach in and they, I mean, up. Uh, you watch the first eight minutes of Up. You, if you don't cry in the first eight minutes of Up, you're not human. And it's they hardly even say a word. And But they will cause everybody just to bawl because we as humans can look at these fictional cartoon characters, but they built them in a way that they they hit emotions and they relate to us on a human level. And that's great storytelling. There were also a few different places throughout the conference where they talked about um, the importance of pulling from what you know. Like you've probably heard the phrase, write what you know, but they defined it a little bit as like, look at your story or look at, look at stories, movies, books, whatever, that are really impactful to you that you love and really dig in and figure out what is it? What elements about that story do I resonate with? And that's the stuff that you're gonna be able to pull from and put those types of elements in your book. And it, that's how you create that resonance with your readers. That's just where people are like, man, that book, it just, I kept thinking about it for weeks. It's because you are putting your soul in it and that's what your reader will feel. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, it's, I'm sure you guys have the same issue, but when I'm watching a movie or I'm reading a book and I'm feeling something, I I always try to catalog, like, why am I crying right now? <laughs> like, what is this and how can I do that? You know, mm-hmm. yeah. how can I rip out someone else's heart and just tear it to shreds? Because that's what that's what we all want. That as is authors, really, as right? authors, for sure. <laughs> I mean, what does that say on your mug? Oh, yeah. So they, we got these mugs. They hand us these out, these little uh, gift bags they gave to us. Uh, and on one side, it's just, you know, it's the Anwa uh, conference label. The other side, it's the Tears of My Readers. Because we want to fill our uh, tumblers with tears <laughs> of our readers. <laughs> Not because our writing is so bad, hopefully. <laughs> no, the resonance. The resonance. <laughs> but you you don't like crying. I. That's something very interesting. I, that's actually how I knew that I was supposed to write the book that I wrote. is because I don't like things that evoke sad emotion. And there are a couple parts of my book that you are supposed to feel sad. And I don't feel bad. And Taylor actually texted me. You well, I don't know if I'm supposed to you, share this. You, but. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I made him cry, and it was my proudest moment. And I don't know when we all became these people, but <laughs> as writers, that's what you are. Yeah, I. In fact, so when I read Kayla's book, um, I read it because of just busyness in my life. I probably read the first half of it in like a few months, and then I read the second half of it in like two days. And when I just, I mean, it just was getting like so good and so emotionally um, just hooking me. And so when I finished it, I was like actually crying. And then the next day I drove to work and I was just sitting in my truck, just driving along. And I started thinking about Coretta Jones and her situation. And I, I just like started tearing up again. I'm like, what the heck? Like I'm not even reading it. <laughs> I'm not listening to it. I'm not watching it. I'm just thinking about it. And I know for a fact that this is a fictional character that even the like things that happened to her, like that never happened to me, probably never will, hopefully, (laughs) but like, I'm still feeling a deep connection there. And that's, that's that resonance you're talking about. That's what we all want. Well, there was a presenter at the conference who talked about mirror neurons, which I guess you just get all kinds of all the different science mm-hmm. and everything mm-hmm. mirror neurons being the thing that causes us like if if someone is going through something that we've never experienced but we still kind of have those emotions like if someone's mm-hmm. doing something really embarrassing and you're like oh ouch cringe that's like your brain saying 
we are in that situation. We are embarrassed. Yeah. And I, I thought that was an interesting thing to look at, just the science behind story and how we react to things, even with fictional characters. I mentioned that in the Star Wars podcast, the 332nd. Um, and I don't think it was the episode that you were on, Michael Campbell, but we were talking about, it was, it, you know what, it was a Stranger Things recap. Okay. Which we all know is inside of the Star Wars universe. Right, right of course, you played that out. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but we we get so attached to these characters, even though we fully know that they're fictional. And, you know, you can point at someone and say, this character was made up by that guy, or that woman, or whatever. We know they're fake. But we, because like what you were saying, and I'm not a neurologist or anything, but those um, mirror neurons. That's what they tell yeah. <laughs> um, We trust these people. <laughs> <laughs> we make these models in our head for even real people. Um, you know, you and I grew up together. And, well, you as well. We, the three of us, I grew up in the same house as Kayla. <laughs> and I'd say we know each other fairly well. But at the end of the day, I can only see so much of you. And I have to fill in all the rest of that as just a model in my head. And so... Yeah, you know, it seems apparent that we're creating the same models for fictional characters just to understand the story. And so, yeah, I have empathy for real people because of these mirror neurons, whatever else. Mm -hmm. So why not have empathy for fictional mm -hmm. people? Right. And I think that the longer that we live, the more experiences that we have, the more things we relate to. Like I said, with, with Onward, it didn't hit me when I watched the first time. I had to have a life event to where, like, I now see this in a different way because of the experiences that I've had. So the older we get, the more emotions we can we can draw from because we now understand. We now have things that, like, yes, now these things, you know, uh, relate to me on these different levels. And um, you know, they one of one of the uh, just the audience members at the conference was mentioning how he's like, my son and I can watch uh, Toy Story together. He laughs at it because he's a kid and these things are funny to him. I'm an adult and I watch it in a different way, but I also enjoy it. But I, but these writers have written it in such a way that it hits me as an adult and it hits him as a child, but watch the exact same thing. Mm -hmm. And that's great storytelling. When you can, when you sometimes will write for a certain audience, but they're able to kind of transcend that and say, yes, we have multiple audiences. And we can write these in multiple layers so that these hit our different audience members at the same time at their level. Mm -hmm. And that's something that takes planning and crafting to be able to do that kind of a, of a feat. I wanted to circle back around to your pitch. So okay. you put together uh, this pitch in a few minutes, right? And then you kind of worked it through with Kayla. And did you have... Anyone else that was helping you out with it? Or no, it was just the two of you? us, you know, looking at it. So uh, again, just kind of drawing from some of the principles we learned from the classes, and uh, it was it was a good exercise. So um, if you like, I, I yeah, do you have that available? I've got this right here. I'll share it right here. Now I don't have the page count like here because I didn't go through and like count my page numbers. But we'll just say like this is like the the pitch part of it. You know, four hundred thousand words. Sure, uh, ten ten hundred thousand. <laughs> <laughs> One million. One million words. <clears throat> okay. Set in the distant future, Dawn of Eden explores a galaxy in which corporations have utilized clone technology and created a clone workforce to cut costs, increase efficiency, and boost profits. When a fleet of rogue clones attack a, a corporate mining facility, 
Jace Torin, a loyal commander aboard the SSFF Jupiter, along with his captain and crew, are tasked with stopping and uh, stopping the bombardment of the planet and neutralizing the clone navy. However, the threat to the galaxy is deeper than a mere group of disgruntled clones. What Chase discovers in the course of their mission not only throws into question his deep-seated feelings toward clones and what he knows about himself, but it could also change the course of the galaxy forever. Mm, very nice. Very eloquent. And, I, and, I, and one thing I appreciate that Kayla, Kayla helped me with is that when I first wrote it, um, I was focused more on like world building elements of it, you know, and kind mm -hmm. of took it from just here are the, the, the things that are happening in, in the whole galaxy. And Kayla's like, you need to focus that on character. And I think that has to do with so much of how we write is like, it's character, 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 right? As a lot of times we want to do about plot and things and plot's important, but it really comes down to character. And she says, you need to write your premise centered on Chase, make him the center of your, of your premise. And I think once I did that, like all of a sudden it's, it spoke to me I'm like, okay, yeah, now you've got a central drive. And one of the uh, other uh, exercises they had us do, we did this at the, this is, I think our last um, class we took was something um, they call it spooky. And I guess it's a, it's a exercise that people do all the time. They make a spook, uh, S P O O C. Um, and it's, it's how you make a, it's how you test your premise of, of your, of your story. Um, for example, if I were to make a spook of my Dawn of Eden book, I would say when a clone fleet attacks a corporate mining colony, commander Chase Torrent is assigned to stop the bombardment and neutralize the clone ships. But can he uncover the truth? of the secret cabal behind the clone fleet and stop the over overthrow of the galaxy. So it's a much shorter, tighter thing, mm -hmm. and it gets to just the basics. It talks about your setting, your protagonist, uh, your uh, objective, uh, and there's a but. There's like, but what if, you know, and then it talks about your obstacles, and then it does your climax. And so those are the elements of the spook. And if you can really, if, if you take your story that you're writing and you throw it into a spook and you can't fill all those pieces in, you're missing something. And mm -hmm. you need to go back and say, okay, do I have uh, a clear objective? Do I have obstacles? Do I have like an actual, you know, antagonist? And one principle I said over and over again is that remember that antagonists are not some, you know, mustache twirling villain. They don't have to be. Um, one person said that um, every villain is an antagonist, but not every antagonist is a villain. Sometimes your antagonist could be in a romance, love, a love interest. Uh, sometimes it could be nature, you know, sometimes it could be yourself. It's just whatever you put in front of your protagonist that creates conflict and, and stops them from achieving their goal. And it's not just that it happens once. It's like if you're out in nature, you know, a storm isn't really your antagonist. If it's just like, oh, it's raining, like, well, it's more what else obstacle. is it going to do? Yeah. Right. It's like, what else is, is nature going to throw at you? Like, oh, the tree's falling down. Like, oh, the f flood is coming through because of the rain. Like, all the things that it's f throwing at you. And you want to, going back to the throw rocks at your characters in the tree, your, your antagonist has got to keep doing things to create that conflict. If there's no conflict, you have no story and you're not interested. You know, your readers are like, well, what's the, what's the, What's the point of this thing? I learned that lesson when I was a little kid, like in third, fourth grade. We were given a writing assignment, and I wrote this story 
about this boy meeting Santa and everything was all wonderful and Santa gave him all these presents and my teacher's like where's the problem where's where's the conflict you know and I you know they yet young age I didn't quite understand the words that she was using but I understood I'm like oh it's boring if I don't have any problems you know where's the pain where's the pain and <laughs> and, and, and I've kind of that's always lived in the back of my head you know as I've as I went through college and took writing classes and stuff like that it's like yeah, it is boring if everything is great. You've got to throw things at your character and um, and have the faith in yourself that you can get your characters out of it. And they always talk about like write yourself into a corner and then get yourself out of that. And sometimes writers can like, oh, I'm scared. Like, what if I get in the corner and I can't get out? You know, it's like, well, like that's that's your job as an author. Like every job is hard, and the job of an author is to throw their people in a corner, you know, and then get themselves out. Mm -hmm. I love that. Can I ask a question that's going to get me in trouble? You may. Do you have a pitch? Yes. I was... <laughs> <laughs> no, as you mentioned that, <laughs> let me go into my pitch. I was going to offer as a, a peace offering because I made you pitch. Yeah, on the spot. Uh, on the spot. <laughs> um, I, I pulled up my pitch because I... You saw me stumble. Don't didn't have it memorized. <laughs> and it's not good. But... This is my 30-second pitch. A man transported to a new world might be the only one who can stop a race war instigated by the very being who kills him in his dreams every night. Meanwhile, on Earth, his wife and the unsuspecting teenage girl that took his place try to find a way to swap them back. So that's my pitch. Nice. Um, needs a lot of work, and actually in the process of... I think I mentioned this earlier, in the process of trying to write a pitch is where I kind of realized, like, okay, my, like, characters didn't have a deep, darky, dark night of the soul. Dark soul, yeah. Um, in fact, I had this, I've had this prequel in mind for a long time, and I'm starting to realize, like, I think that the prequel needs to be the first book, because it has, like, a very concise and better pitch. And... You know, the characters that are in the first book, uh, not all of them, or excuse me, not all of the characters that are in the book that I've written right now are in that prequel, but all the ones that are in the prequel carry over to this first book, or second, whatever it's going to be, right? Mm -hmm. So I love that going through that pitching process is creating a lot of extra work, but kind of putting me on the right path. Well, and it'll be work that'll pay off in the end, so you won't, you're catching it early. So you don't end up having to, well, early-ish. Yeah. <laughs> Only to, 15 right? years into that. <laughs> I don't know. At least you don't have a whole series written, and then you're having to rearrange all of the books in different orders. And yeah, yeah, absolutely. Give or take. <laughs> there's, still, there's still time to go back. And I'm finding myself, I'm like, I don't need to go back and like see if I can rework certain things. Sometimes it's just throwing the line in. I'm like, okay, I just need to hint at something. I just need to provide a little context or a little bit of a setting or a little bit more of, of a problem. And uh, sometimes it doesn't have to be humongous fixes. Maybe it's just like it's in a building. You just need to provide a little bit more of a support. You know, well, you're the engineer, Taylor. Like, you know, uh, I'm not a civil engineer. <laughs> <laughs> You're a little horse kind of. <laughs> <laughs> but like in, in your classes, when you had to do different kinds of things, like sometimes you just yeah. you just need a little something to, to to you know provide a little bit of support um, uh, to wherever you're building. And and really, we're architects of stories. And sometimes we find like, okay. 
as we're building and constructing the story, we need supports in different places. And sometimes you need to go back and like, oh, this part is weak. You know, I need to reinforce this. I need to, you know, make sure my, my foundation is, is uh, you know, solid, you know, and, uh, and sometimes, and, and, and we took some, some classes on editing. And one thing I appreciated is that there's different layers of editing, right? And they talked about how sometimes you're looking at things in a grander sense at like a forest. He's like, don't, don't look at the trees right now. Don't look at the branches. Look at the forest. Look at the themes of, of your book. Look at these grand arcs. That's the kind of thing you want to focus on this level of editing. And then you're going to get kind of drilled down. Like, now I'm going to look at the tree, you know, look at my characters. I'm going to drill down to now, like, you know, to, to the branches. That's like, okay, let's look at the punctuation, things like that. But there's different levels of editing you want to look at. Um, and they're all important, but there's just different ways you can look at stuff to make sure that your your story works, your characters work, and your, you know, syntax works. I will say with all of this being said, it's important to note that if you want to just write a draft to just get it on the paper, that's great. And that's, I think, a really great place to start before you go into all of these. I wrote a first chapter and now I need to go back and edit all of this stuff. It's very tempting, but there's some traction to be gained by just getting a draft out. And so while we get all technical about all this revision, it's okay. Give yourself permission to just write. All right. Because you definitely don't want to like get frozen in, mm -hmm. I, I can't write a perfect manuscript. Mm -hmm. Like, well, no. Of course you're not going to. You're not them. ever expected to do that yeah, until. Right. And so you need to, revisions. you know, I talked about like sometimes you just need to throw it out there and then beautify it later, you know. So a lot of your ideas will come as you as you just start writing it and then later go back and go, okay, now that I've kind of got all these things in place, now I start to form stuff like I can kind of see, you know, I need to change this, change this. I mean, what is that thing? It's like Michelangelo has the famous story where he would go and look at a, a block of granite for days and days and days and just stare at it and then all of a sudden you just chisel it out like and there's michelangelo you needed to like <laughs> if only you, we could do that with paper right <laughs> you know, like sometimes you just need to you need to like think about it and plan it and you know kind of formulate and then boom you know you start you start but you got to you got to put the work in you got to like get the chisel in your hand and you're like mm -hmm. all right here we go we're going to start doing something and, and you can whack off stuff and like oh we'll fix this and fix this but mm -hmm. you know you got to you got to get there something to start with yeah. to hack away. Yeah. Yeah. So the last thing I kind of want to touch on is just, you know, you both shared with us your pitches. Thank you very much. Sorry for putting you on the spot. <laughs> um, I know Uncle Kimball, you said that you, you didn't pitch to anyone, right? I didn't pitch to anyone this Because you're not at that point. Uh, yeah. And I wasn't really, really thinking about it. Um, mm -hmm. But I think next year, I think I would be interested in doing that. Awesome. I think I'd like to be at that point as well. But Kayla, you did pitch to people. So did, yeah. you shared a little bit about that experience earlier, but did anything come of that? Yeah, so to my surprise, they're one of the um, people that I pitched face-to-face, -face, um, just my pitch, not the materials ahead of time, actually requested a full manuscript. So we'll see where that goes. At that <laughs> point, the, oh, thank you. Um, at that point in the process, you know, anything could happen, but at least it's, you know, you can put their name on the letter and it gets a little bit past the slush pile at that point. So that's And, and nice. let's also mention that they gave awards out. Uh, <laughs> if you submitted, you you could enter a contest and submit 
a certain portion of your manuscript. This is really cool, and they need more submissions. So I, this is a really cool opportunity that yeah. some conferences will. will and offer. our uh, very own Kayla won uh, uh, a certificate in in her genre. So. <laughs> Uh, it was very exciting to hear her name called out. She got to go up and get the certificate. And now she can use the fact that she got a certificate in this, you know, contest when she's submitting things. So that's huge. That's awesome. Uh, it is. So. It, that's one of the things about going to these types of things. They give you, they give you information. They enable you with all of this wisdom, but they also, you just gain so much. You can gain, um, well, things like this to put on your query letter resources networking it's just just all around a really good experience yeah and they had a keynote speaker at the end someone who uh has published i think it was like 13 novels she has her 19th novel is coming out okay next so month. yeah she's <laughs> she's done very well and she's not and she seems to be about your age it seemed like i have no idea uh, i'm not, not outing your age or anything but uh kayla's very Between young 20 and 60 <laughs> I, I i like to hope she's older than me because 19 novels that's pretty impressive yeah. but, um yeah. but she and what was really nice is all she said like i'm up here and um I, i've been asked to speak in this keynote because i've achieved some modicum of success um so i'd like to and help inspire you, you you can also achieve success and and she was talking about like what is success well sometimes success is just like i wrote today i got my you know x amount of letter or words in today um i finished the book she's like 95 percent of people who write never finish their book be part of that five percent that actually finishes it you know and whether it gets published or not maybe you just want to write it because you it's fun to write it is fun. we all say writing is fun right mm -hmm. uh, maybe you want to have some friends read and, and if they find enjoyment boom you're successful um but she said like to keep herself humble she did this great thing where she took comments like off of amazon they were her bad reviews bad good reviews. reads amazon wherever and she sang them she <laughs> she made it she pulled a guitar out and she had a nice little tune and she would sing these these comments she actually made them rhyme which i thought was very clever yeah. <laughs> um, but then she at the end of her speech she finished with taking a taylor swift song i don't know what the original song is i'm no taylor swift fan why why uh mean why you gotta be so uh, why you gotta be so yeah. and she turned it into why do you have to troll and it was basically a song that she was like writing to these these haters these trolls and just like why do you have to troll she says but like someday i'm going to have a pu published book someday i'm going to speak in keynote at anwa and you're going to be trolling still you know so if you in your writing find that uh you're finding difficulties or maybe you've you've published something and you're getting some negative reviews you know what at least you did something and these people all they're doing is just you know saying well that's not very good i'm like well i've done something what have you done you're just writing some kind of comment on it on a youtube thing or on an amazon review or whatever don't let them don't let the trolls bring you down there are other people out there who, who appreciate it and if you like it and the only person in the world who likes your stuff so be it find success in the fact that you've done something that, that you enjoy and I think with the existence of all these trolls, that's why there is the importance of all these conferences and all these things where you go to build yourself up and find a good community. Um, no one there was tearing anybody down. Everybody was building each other up mm -hmm. and it was very inspirational. Yeah, absolutely. And I'll say this, if, if you've liked some of the things that we've talked about, um, every year it seems like, of course, we have never been to one before, but it sounds like all these classes that they do, very few are repeats. 
I think one of the presenters says, I've, I taught this years ago and I was asked to repeat this class. It's most of the time. Backed by popular demand. By, yeah, <laughs> most of the time. So you think like, oh, I've heard them say this stuff. Like, don't worry, they'll bring new classes out next year. Um, and so they'll have kind of the same things. You're going to have probably things like editing some things on structure and things like that, and characters or whatnot. But the information you're going to get um, every time, I think, is going to be something new and, and uh, fresh and, and uh, exciting. So I would definitely encourage you. Uh, it's not overly expensive. Uh, it's I think well well worth the cost to go out to to uh, go to these conferences. It was a great time. Awesome. I want to thank you guys both for joining me on the podcast today. Um, if people want to reach out to you, follow you, talk to you, what are the ways they can do that? Best way for me is Instagram. You can find me at KB McNeil. <laughs> And how do you spell that? Oh, K-B-M-A-C-N-E-I-L-L-E. So all the letters you can think of. <laughs> Wonderful. And I'll link that in the show notes as Thanks. well. Um, I was kicked off of Twitter. I got, I guess I got a little too salty. <laughs> too, too spicy in my, uh, in my, uh, some of my political, uh, uh, comments. So they kicked me off Twitter and it's one of those is like, uh, if you want to, you know, change, uh, take this off then we'll put you back on. I'm like, nah, I'm good. <laughs> but I, I do have a, a YouTube channel. Uh, I not only do I like writing, but I like um, video production. I like movie making. I like acting. So I've got several videos on there, and it's under just Kimball E. Uh, it's my YouTube channel. So um, uh, I like like some more views. That's it's always fun to make videos. So check that out. And I'm on Facebook at Kimball Earl. So there you go. Awesome. You can be Facebook friends. I'll, I'll I'll accept random strangers. Why not? Wonderful. <laughs> I always wondered when the adage, you know, stranger danger expired, because I personally try to avoid strangers as much as possible. <laughs> I don't talk to new people. That's just absurd. <laughs> but I'm starting to realize that's more of something, you know, not talking to strangers is something for children, I guess. I don't know. I it feel... definitely doesn't apply to writers conferences. <laughs> <laughs> you didn't just go sit there and not talk to anyone the whole time? No, yeah, you got to go sit in the random empty seats and talk to everyone. <laughs> Although someone did say, hey, we're a room full of introverts. <laughs> yeah, that's true. When you want to feel something awkward, you ask a room full of introverts to participate in the writers conference. That is funny. <laughs> well, if you want to follow the show, you can do that on Twitter at auto and author, or you can follow me on Twitter at taylor underscore c underscore bailey and i actually do some video production too so what the heck if you want to follow that you can follow that on instagram at tcp underscore pro and that's all the pandering that i would like to do at the moment again kayla kimball thank you again for joining thanks for having me and, yeah, uh, listeners thanks for listening